This is Jordan Audio back at y'all with another podcast. And today's topic is about straight men and anal pleasure. Now, it goes without secret that the male G-spot is located within the anus. This gland is called the prostate. It is a walnut-sized gland located between the bladder and the penis. The prostate is just in front of the rectum. The urethra runs through the center of the prostate from the bladder to the penis, letting urine flow out of the body. The prostate secretes fluid that nourishes and protects sperm. Now, given all of that fun science I just read, I think the prostate is a very important thing, especially when it comes to anal pleasure, because when massaged, feels fucking amazing. Um... (laughs) But no, I don't understand why men having their anuses pleasured is seen as being homosexual. Now, granted, that is how most of us get our pleasure, yes, but that's not the only way we get our pleasure. Um, We'll get to that later. Um, (laughs) But I stand by, no matter what a male and a female do in a bedroom, I will always look at that as heterosexual sex, whether there is pegging, which is literally a woman being more of the dominant role, penetrates their partner through strap-ons and or dildos or vibrators. Y'all nasty. But no, I think that that is safe, fun, and I don't see it as anything negative or gay. Like, the stigma surrounding anal pleasure is so annoying. It is as backwards, it's outdated. Because in today's society, anything involving a man's rectum is always going to be seen as homosexual. I do not agree with that. Mainly because some men need their prostates massaged because of health benefits. Now, most men will never look into that because they're just going to look at it as something gay. You know what I'm saying? Now, one thing that I have done research on um, over the past couple of years is prostate cancer, which is a cancer in the prostate, and it can cause difficulty urinating, or sometimes there's no symptoms, but sometimes it can be a little aggressive and can require radiation, surgery, hormone therapy, chemotherapy, or other treatments. And this is extremely common and affects more than 3 million men a year. The first signs of prostate cancer are blood and urine or semen, pain when ejaculating or painful ejaculating. Bitch, you said the same thing twice. Frequent pain or stiffness in the lower back, hips, pelvic, or rectal area or upper thighs. That is a lot going on. Um, But yeah. Aside from the the medical benefits, it's something that I feel like a lot of men may even want to experience, but because of society and a lot of women's views on that, um, they'll probably never experience it with other people. Now, I've heard of women not necessarily snooping, but maybe swinging their feet too hard and kicking a little bag of tricks underneath their man's bed or in their closet and finding butt plugs. 
Now, the first thing a woman might assume is what? He's gay. Whereas I am a little bit more open-minded. And I feel that (laughs) just because a man, as I stated earlier, enjoys anal pleasure does not make him a homosexual. If he enjoys anal stimulation from another man, then that would make him homosexual. I do not feel like men, especially in today's world, should be judged because of this. I stand on the fact that sexuality and sex should be a little bit more fluid. Okay? Now, eating your man's ass, just the licking of the rectum, not necessarily penetrating, that is a very taboo subject, but it is something that a lot of women are starting to become more verbal. It's not necessarily a secret anymore. Like, they're starting to verbalize the fact that they are willing to, you know, explore their man's back door. Now, here's my my challenge with that. A lot of men ain't clean. I'm going to let that marinate. A lot of men don't believe in manscaping. They don't believe in shaving. A lot of men don't even like to wipe their ass. They don't wash it and or trim it and make it look presentable. Did I just say presentable? I said presentable. But they're not willing to clean it up in order for it to be consumed. Wow. My verbiage. Um, <laughs> But it doesn't look good. Like, I'm gay, yes. But it's a lot of men that I've been around that have not manscaped. They haven't cleaned. Like, literally... If you ask a man to, you know what I'm saying, bend over or get on all fours, not saying that's something you do, the challenge with that sometimes is a lot of men may not be comfortable with it, so there's that. But then the other thing is, a lot of them are not clean. You know what I'm saying? I look for a not necessarily bright, flowery smell, but bitch, if we finna have sex, you shouldn't smell like everything you ate last week with garlic. That's just not sanitary, and I feel like that should be a um an, a legal offense at this point. We should just press charges on these niggas for being dirty at this. You're over eighteen, and you learn in middle and high school about deodorant and or hygiene. I'm not really sure how many of y'all parents loved y'all and showed y'all how to take care of, you know what I'm saying, the underarm and backdoor sense, especially if you're about to have sex. I feel like that's something that either a parent or a teacher should try to teach you. You shouldn't be learning that in the streets because some people don't have your best interest at heart. That's how a lot of people get raped and molested because they trusted somebody to show them something and that person took advantage. Not fair. Um... But my thing is, especially with having sex at all in the anal area, that area does breed bacteria, which is why hygiene is so important and why people should try to, you know what I'm saying, wash it and wipe it. I don't know what or when or why wiping your ass became gay. That is actually quite concerning. Um, because that just lets me know, one, your underwear probably has more tire marks than the middle of the interstate. And that is not okay. 
And my other thing is this, is you're comfortable sitting and laying with dirty, uh, dirty booty water is what I'm going to consider it because you sweat back there as well. That's disgusting. You know what I'm saying? And I have this thing where I don't like to get in everybody's bed. I do not. Even hotel beds, sometimes I'm a little sketchy because I don't know what happened in that bed before I got here. You know what I'm saying? That's why I really don't care for white sheets because they, they, they show too much. You know what I'm saying? You could just jump on the bed with shoes on, leave footprints. I don't like that. That makes the bed look dirty to me. But a lot of y'all are dirty, so that's that that's okay. Um, But yeah, I, I've been in company... <laughs> even spent nights with people that I I kind of wish I hadn't. Um, there was one gentleman in particular. He was a handsome gentleman. He was very handsome. And we had got a room. Well, he bought the room, of course. Okay. Swiped the visas. And he smelled. Pissed me off. Because I got... <laughs> a lot of women feel like, oh, you're too cute to be gay. And I'm like, understandable, but you got to also understand they still men. You know what I'm saying? They're still men. <laughs> They're only men, for that matter. doesn't really matter what they look like. You know what I'm saying? Some men are barbaric, you know? And like I say, I feel like sexuality should be a little bit more fluid than what it is. Because you breathe so much room for judgment. You know, there's a lot of men that partake in the things that they talk against. You know what I'm saying? They, they'll they go on the record to say, I ain't with, you know, that booty play. But, you know what I'm saying? They may like to sit on the jets in the pool, you know. Um, <laughs> but they don't consider it gay or they like to keep it a secret. You know, a lot of men have been familiar with, you know, butt plugs and toys. You know what I'm saying? Maybe they liked it. Maybe they didn't, but they experimented. But they go about it and a a way that's homophobic to still attach themselves to masculinity. You know what I'm saying? They don't they don't want to be seen as feminine and they don't want their woman feeling like, no, you're gay if you like your butt played with. But again, I don't I don't believe in that. You know what I'm saying? I feel like sex is sex. Whether it's between two men, two women, a man and a woman, woman and a man. Like, it does not matter what that woman does to that man in that bedroom. Whatever she does to him, I do not feel like makes him a homosexual. I do not. <laughs> that concludes this podcast. Stay tuned. This is JD Audio back at y'all with another podcast. And this podcast is about my first love. God rest his soul. <laughs> um, so... When I was 16, I just got out of a relationship with a female. And um, I think this was the beginning of 10th grade. Yep, that's about, about, yeah. So, I had met this guy. um, We were communicating. And I'm 16. So, bear with me on this story. Because what the fuck? So I was texting him, you know, we were, I was getting that good morning text in every day, like clockwork. Like I was like, I can't miss a moment. I can't. So I would text him good morning and then I would sit there and I would wait 
like most of y'all waiting for y'all niggas to change. And um, he would text back and be like, good morning. And I'd be like, oh my God, not no boo, not baby, not my everything, not hubby, just good morning. First letter of both words capitalized. And it would be spaced out, or sometimes they'll put them together. And I'd be like, oh my God, I love him. But no, and then, <laughs> with me being so young, I really felt like I was, like, top tier when he texted me. Like, before then, I was, like, third. But when he texted, I was on top of the cake, bitch. I was there. Um, And so, over time, you know, you get attached to people we were young all we really we really grew up with the internet and so i would get online and scroll his page and see things and be like oh my gosh he watches that too like just obsessed you know it was weird now that i think about it the fuck were you doing um found out that he was bisexual and i was really happy about that and um because i was like yay bitch i got a chance Cause you know when you're young and you, you know what I'm saying, you don't really call yourself gay yet. You call yourself bi. Calling yourself bisexual sometimes is kind of like the the interlude to being gay. It's like it's a nice little smooth over before you come out. You know, it's almost like bisexuality in the gay community is like a bridge to almost straight, but not really. And you'd be surprised how masculine people try to act just to fit in with straight men and straight women. To try to, it's almost like pick me behavior. Like, I'm bad, but I ain't no sissy. It's like, but you don't have to be one. Yeah. So anyway, so we would text, talk on the phone, and oh my gosh, I fell in love with his voice. Oh my gosh. And um, over time, I started to realize, you know... He has other people in his life, and I don't want them there. I'm joking. But no, seriously, you get jealous because you're like, why aren't you texting me? You don't say that. But you're like, why isn't he texting me? Then you'll see, like, he's at school. He's with his friends. It's like, how dare you have a life outside of these text messages? I'm in love with you. Um. So, fast forward, we became familiar with an app called Uvu. Uvu was that girl. And we would webcam with his friends, my friends. It was fun. You know what I'm saying? We would go up there and clown, and I would be so happy. Um, My weight actually skyrocketed between the ages of 15 and 16. I actually got really obese. And, uh, well, not obese, bitch. You're giving it too much gas. But um, I got big. Really big. Uh, Self-esteem, where? Um, but I was attached to this man. Like, he wasn't the old. Don't want to rush the story. So, <laughs> so eventually I find out he's not into me the way that I'm into him. So, I'm sad. But I'm still a slut for his attention. Yes, I was. You know, and then eventually we did end up meeting up at the mall. You know, his mom dropped him off, mine dropped me off, you know. And we walked the mall and we talked and eventually I got my kiss, you know, looking back, ew. Because who knew how to kiss? Not me. Um, But 
long story short, when we went back home, it was just like, what the hell did you just do? You just literally threw your heart out there knowing he doesn't want it. So eventually, it became a jealousy thing and a bit of a shit-talking thing because I was like, I'm tired of being second to all these other people that you have in your life. And it was almost like I wasn't good enough. And that's the worst feeling for a 16-year-old kid is feeling like you're not good enough. Because that kind of stuff sticks with you, even sometimes to adulthood. Um, For anybody that's ever been in a family that was abusive, a relationship that was abusive, friends that weren't really your friends, or any kind of situation where you seem and feel like you're just not good enough, y'all know what I'm talking about. And so I eventually began to be depressed. And um, I always had this tightness in my chest that literally just sat there because it was filled with disappointments. It was filled with frustration. It was filled with so much self-hate because it just felt like, well, I'm never going to be anybody's first, anybody's pick. I'm never going to be anybody's anything. Um, compound with my grades that could have been better. I just literally was spiraling. Um, my love for music actually grew. I started to expand my writing and that's when I started writing heavier things, but it was all sad stuff. Like he broke my heart. This, that part, this is art. Yeet. Like, it was just, like, just heartbreak stuff. Like, I have a whole composition notebook. I don't even like to read it because it's so sad. Like, it's just filled with nothing but a cry for help. You know, um, around the age of 17, I was diagnosed with anxiety and I was diagnosed with insomnia. Um, I was prescribed something called Ambien. Ambien was like a happiness like I never felt. You know what I'm saying? I had my own pick. But I was so wrapped up in him, you know, and these pills kind of like pushed me away from that sadness. But baby, when I came down off that shit, oh, I felt less than dirt. I felt like nothing and nobody. And I would go from taking one because it was supposed to be for my insomnia. They also put me on these antidepressants, but the antidepressants made me suicidal. Awesome stuff. Um, But when it came down to the Ambien, the Ambien literally was supposed to help me sleep, but it did the quite opposite. I literally went further without sleep. I actually went a whole week with like an hour of sleep a day. And I wasn't eating. I was losing weight. I was losing my mind. You know, I got down to the scariest sides I've ever seen myself because I was so out of touch. And then my dad is all in my ear like, well, what do you want to do with your life? And I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. So around the age of um, 16, I actually did come out to my parents. Um, Didn't really get the warmest of welcomes, but I wasn't dismissed. You know, it was kind of like an adjustment that was heavy and hard. Um, But all all of these things just kind of propelled me 
to run towards the the ambient and run towards him. Um, it got bad, like almost borderline obsession to the point where I would be subscribed to his tweets and things. So I would see everything after he posted it. I had to make sure I didn't miss a beat. Um, I would cry a lot. I would cry a lot. I would eat and I would cry. I would eat and I would cry and I would eat, 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 cry, cry, cry. It was bad. I had friends. I did. And I'm pretty sure they got so exhausted with hearing about him. I'm sure. Eventually, you know, we grew up. And thank God we grew apart. You know, I, I found um, that's necessarily myself. I was finding myself, but I found myself away from him. I literally went through an episode where he would date people and then they weren't so nice. And then I was not nice. And then you have that. So it was a time in high school. He was dating a girl with the same last name as me, no relation. And I found it odd that she sat across from me at lunch. Because it's like, you live 15 minutes out. What are the odds of you dating somebody that literally sits beside me at lunch? Odd. So there became a bullying-esque environment, but without the aggression. It was just kind of like, you're poking fun at her. Because you know she's dating somebody you want. And... She doesn't catch the hint. She doesn't catch the joke. I bet she felt betrayed. I'm sure. Because I would too. But I loved him. I was never letting up. I spoke a curse over his life in terms of dating that I won't repeat on this. But I spoke a curse over his life that actually did come to head. And I never knew the power of the tongue until later on. And so... I literally drove myself crazy until I finally found myself, you know, the little cute dating apps and shit. Not really dating, because nobody dates on those apps. Those niggas just want to smash and get rid of your ass. But I literally put a lot into this guy so young. I was in a relationship prior to meeting him that kind of went south. And that was a relationship that I wanted to hold near and dear. That relationship what had been my longest to date and it was a female as i explained and um when we broke up it kind of sent me i I guess i'll say it sent me off it kind of propelled me into finding myself um i was attracted to females i was but i was not sexually attracted to females and it was different to meet him you know, my first love, because this was something outside of what everybody feels I should have. You know what I'm saying? You grow up being bullied, picked on, picked apart. Everybody's like, well, you should date girls and you should, you know what I'm saying? Stop listening to Mariah Carey and you should just be like, it's all, it's like literally when you're young and you're slightly feminine, it turns on the ignorance of every adult near you. You got people that will talk about you, whispers, all kinds of shit, um, because you're slightly feminine. You know what I'm saying? They don't even think about the the character or the self-esteem of the child. They're too busy trying to make the child into, 
you know, being straight. They want him to play with Ken and that Barbie. They want him to play with the boys, not the girls. They want him to hang more around football players, basketball players, and not cheerleaders and, and majorettes. They want you to be in this big, hyper-masculine bowl. But that's not you. That's not us. That's not who we are. You know? So I sought comfort and a peer that I ended up catching feelings for, too many feelings for, and I wound up getting hurt. Which is why it's so important for younger gays to have friends and support systems, healthy, um, mentally equipped adults to guide and counsel them. Not the streets. Not these random pedophilic-ass 30-year-old men telling them they're cute for their age and when will they be 18, filling their head with lies, poisoning them, having sex with them, giving them STDs and or tricking them out into drugs and drinking. Um, there's too many of those. There's too many of those out here and it's just not okay. You know what I'm saying? He is now deceased. And he actually passed away earlier this year. And it got to me. But over all the years of us going at it and talking shit about each other, I literally went to him months, months, months before he passed. And I let him know I was no longer angry. I was no longer bitter. I was no longer sad or depressed. I had forgiven him. You know what I'm saying? Even though I still had my feelings about how he treated me, I wasn't angry at him. We were kids. Okay? When I sat back and I told myself we were, we were kids, I freed myself. Because there was a lot of things that I had done and I, held my, I finally held myself accountable for. You know what I'm saying? And once I did that, once I forgave myself, I was able to forgive him. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's, forgiveness is more so for yourself than the other person because they're fine. I had to find this out the hard way. They're fine. They're waking up. They're going to breakfast. They're not sapped. They may have guilt, but that guilt is not bigger than their life. Believe me. So while we're holding grudges, walking around angry and resentful and bitter, they are literally living it up in your face. And you're waiting for their... And I always tell people, don't wait for somebody's karma. Because in all the time you're waiting for their karma, you're putting your life on hold to watch them live theirs. Now, how fair is that to you? We don't know how many days we got left. And you're spending all your time, which is what I did, waiting for, waiting for their karma to occur. What if... The pain they dealt you, they never get. What if the hurt and depression and anxiety they put on your shoulders, what if it never hits them the way it hits you? What if it hits them deeper? What if it doesn't hit them at all? Now what? Like you've literally spent so much of yourself and so much of your life Trying to make sure that somebody is in the same boat you are. And they're literally smooth sailing like a mug. I'm so sorry. But, um, we had that conversation as I expressed. 
And then months, months, months later, I'm on Facebook. He's gone. And I was thinking to myself, I'm not, I'm not happy at all with the fact that he didn't get to see old age. But I am relieved that before he passed, he went knowing there was no ill will from my way. Don't really know if I crossed his mind at all. Because he, you know what I'm saying, I'll never know. But I, I felt relieved knowing that, okay, I let him know it's peaceful from here. There's no anger. There's no hurt. There's nothing. You know what I'm saying? I want the best for you. I wish you the greatest. You know what I'm saying? And then that happened. And that's just like a, it's like a further, bigger reminder how final and sudden death is. You don't get to undo it. You don't get to go back and try again. You don't get to undo the past. You have to literally sit in the present, look at it, assess it, come see the problem, find the problem. Okay, find the problem, evaluate the problem, and then come up with solutions. And that is how you move forward into the future. You cannot sit in the present and look at the past. Because then you'll lose tomorrow worrying about yesterday. Did Dionne Warwick say that? Period. (laughs) That concludes this podcast. Thank you for listening. Rest in peace, Quante Gordon. This is Dirty Audio. Back at y'all with another podcast. And I just want to take this podcast specifically to reflect on the past year. Um, My 27th birthday is coming up, but I wanted to take, you know, this moment to just kind of reflect on the things that I've learned over the past year. January 15, 2020, I lost my job. That was the same week that I started my first podcast. Um, I was very sick. Lost a little bit of weight. Um, was very, very, very weak and fatigued. Um, back then there wasn't a name for it. Um, it was just kind of dismissed as you know upper respiratory infection, blase, blase. It wasn't necessarily considered COVID. Now, for those of you that have been listening to me for a while, you know this. So, I went through a bit of a depression. I'm talking, didn't want to get out the bed, depression, didn't really want to eat, depression, just kind of going through the motions, not really existing, just there. Like, I don't have a purpose in my mind. Um, I had had that job three years, so there, there was a bit of a, a disappointment in myself. You know what I'm saying? It was my fault. But it was not entirely my fault. I've learned now to not be so naive and trusting. And I've learned that I have to cover my own ass. In every aspect of the term. And in that time, I also did not have health insurance. And I was literally just low-key spiraling. Um, My dating life was ass. I was entertaining people that I will be discussing on future podcasts. Because, baby, 
But I literally learned so much about life, how unpredictable things are, um, how sudden death is, why forgiveness is so important. Um, And sometimes living in your norm is dangerous. And I think a lot of people figured that out last year because sometimes you have to step outside of that norm in order to really live life. Now, there's nothing wrong with being in your comfort zone. People with anxiety definitely need to be comfortable. But instead of the rice, try the noodles. Because there may come a day there will be no rice. And then all you have is the noodles. And you'll be so untrusting and uncomfortable that you won't want the noodles. But then you might get that weird gust of wind that says, try the noodles. And then you end up liking the noodles maybe more than you like the rice. You know what I'm saying? P.F. Chains crossed my band. I apologize. But um, <laughs> but I just went through like a whole cycle of what the hell is happening right now? Like the barbershops were closed. My gym closed. These were things that helped me feel normal. So I had to find other things. I did still keep a haircut because that's just how I roll. But I found myself walking listening to more music, trying to write. You know what I'm saying? I had a little bit of a writer's block for a second, but I came back around to it. And um, I just had to kind of find something. You know what I'm saying? I kept a job, of course. Um, After I lost that one, I already had one, you know what I'm saying, on its way because that's how God works. But, um, you know, I did something different to my hair. Um, I started coloring it. I started wearing tighter clothes. You know, once it started warming up, I started wearing less clothes. I'm kidding. I wasn't naked. I just wore these shorts. Calm down. Um, But I just really had to find myself. I was in a relationship for two years. We had broken up the year before. So this was like the the shadows of getting over that um, whole breakup situation, the depression and all that other crazy shit girl not right now um but i took the time to try to find things um i went inner i started to look at myself a little bit better i started to find out like i'm impatient still and i need to groom myself to be a little bit more patient with things and people because literally everything is a process um and you cannot argue with um the universe and god's timing I am literally in a spot that I have wanted to be in for five years. The store that I'm currently working at, I have wanted to be here since 2016. And I'm finally here. Okay. Um, I have shed so many tears, frustrated myself. I literally kept throwing myself in fire and then pulling myself back out to remind myself how hot fire is and why I need to stay away from it. I'm hard-headed by nature. So sometimes I have to keep relearning lessons, kind of like you do. You, listener. Yeah, you. Um, And it's like, even with people, you know what I'm saying? You know this person is fake, but you're still telling them your business. Why? Because you have to keep relearning the lesson until you get burned enough and they tell that one story that you did not want repeated and now you upset but you you knew. You know what I'm saying? Um, as I explained, I'll be 27 in a few weeks. 
And I'm embracing 27 because 27, I feel, is going to bring me further towards what I want in life, what I need. Because now I have an evolved mindset. Um, I'm still figuring out a few things, but I'm more positive, open, and I'm less anxious. Because life is going to happen while I'm asleep or while I'm awake. I just have to be prepared. You know what I'm saying? Life has no script. Life has no rehearsal. Relationships don't always come with instructions. Sometimes you got to get into a relationship to see why you don't need one. Sometimes you got to get into a relationship and figure out why or how to be a better person, be a better boyfriend, be a better lover. Now, let's face it. A lot of us, we don't take the time to heal. So we bleed on those that didn't bleed on us. That's life. You know what I'm saying? It's not fair. But you got to keep going. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes you'll meet your soulmate. Your soulmate might help you heal while you help them heal. You know what I'm saying? You might grow old together because of your experiences and because of how much you have in common. You know what I'm saying? I was in a relationship where I didn't have hands put on me. Some people have been in relationships where they have had, have had hands put on them. Sometimes feet. I watched the Wilkos. How the fuck? I don't know. But it happens. You know? Um, but you have to keep going. And that is the biggest thing that I have for my life is you got to keep going. You know, car trouble, got to keep going. Uh, death in the family, got to keep going. You know what I'm saying? We don't know how many more cycles we have around this planet. And it's like, you don't want to spend your life in fear, which is what I've done. You know, living in fear, anxiety of failing. What happens when you live in fear and anxiety is you lose the time. You lose it. It doesn't come back. Because you literally stamped every moment of of your life with fear. And then before you know it, well, not in my case, but you're old and resentful. You know what I'm saying? You should have took that flight and, and went and found the love of your life. You should have wanted that vacation. Now you don't have the money. You should have ate that sandwich. Now you have no food. You should have beat her ass. She's still popping shit, but she's moved away. You know what I'm saying? So you just got to take every moment that you get on this planet, express your gratitude for having it, and then you got to make it count, make it matter. What did you do today? Did you do your laundry? Did you wash your face? Have you washed that ass? Did you wash your car? Does your car need vacuuming? Did you tell your child I love you today? Did you call your mom and say I miss you? Did you call your grandparents? Did you check up on anybody besides yourself today? Did you make a sandwich? Did you eat a sandwich? I want a sandwich. I'm hungry. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. I ain't ate breakfast yet. But I'm going to eat in a few because I'm hungry. You know what I mean? So I'm saying all that to say, you know, life is literally what you make it. I literally did a training program at work. And <laughs> pride is a awful thing. I sat in this training and I was just sitting there like, I know all this stuff. I know all this stuff. I know everything. And then a bitch got humbled because I actually literally sat there and learned something. Things I didn't know. And I just, I was trying to get away from this training. I kept, like, they was like, Jay, you got to... You know, get the iPad and you got to sit there and do the Zoom call. I've never been on a Zoom call. I won't try to sit still. I don't like to sit still. That's my problem. So I don't like to sit still. 
Even when I'm sick, I'm forced to sit still. But I sat there for this training and I was humbled. Because not only did I learn something, but he taught me something about myself and he taught me something about life. One thing about life was he showed me a YouTube video about a man and he was talking about being a shark. You know what I'm saying? Made perfect sense. We got to be sharks. Can't always be goldfish. You know, I felt there's a time to be a goldfish and a time to be a shark. But right now, the way the economy is, the way people are, we got to be sharks. We got to go out there for everything that belongs to us. You know what I'm saying? We got to go get it. Ain't nobody going to hand it to us. To be honest, I don't even want us to have it. So, I said all that to say, life is literally what you make it. You want it, go get it. It's yours. Except her husband. He belongs to her. He's married. Back up. This is Jedi Audio back at y'all with another podcast. And I just want to tell y'all this quick little story time. It's very quick. It's very short. So around the age of 16 or 17, I was coming out to the world. Not really out, out. Like, I told my family, but I wasn't really telling everybody. Um, And I thought I was grown. So I would hang out with people and, um, you know what I'm saying, they were kind of like me. So I got in the car with my friends and we went driving and one of them had a boyfriend that was extremely controlling. And to the point where he was like stalker-esque. So I remember us driving to this gas station. I don't think it's there anymore. And um, he pulled up. Looking all through the window, trying to see what I look like. And she's like, he's gay. I'm like, bitch, no, I'm not. So I'm in the car and I'm looking. I'm I'm concerned because I'm like, if I wasn't gay, would that make this dangerous? Because it's scary. You know, she's a pretty girl. He was a skinny uh, white guy. And um, I, I guess they were in love. Um... In my opinion, he should have been in custody um, because it was just weird. Like, he was very, like, very uh, controlling, obsessive, um, even intrusive. He would insert himself in um, her plans. You know, he even went so far as to put his hands on her. And he was he was dragging her. And I'm like, you want this? Like, you intentionally want this? You need a hug. Because no, that that's not okay. Um, he should not be handling you like furniture. That's that that's not cool. You know what I mean? And it's it's sad that a lot of women encounter domestic violence, but it's it's worse when it's in front of you. Because you literally you hear about it. You might have experienced it as a child, but when you're a teenager, and it's almost like you can't do anything about it because it's one, it's not your boyfriend, it's not your girl. They're just literally, for real, for real, she wasn't even really my friend. She was my friend's friend. I was just in her car. But I didn't really, I didn't say anything. I just kind of kept my mouth closed because it's like, what the hell? Like, I don't want to get beat next. You know what I'm saying? He's clearly on 10, probably on drugs, more than likely. And we're out in a city I don't live in. So I'm a lot of things, but I ain't dumb. And the last thing I wanted to do was get left out here because 
I got to explain to my mama how I got here and why I'm here. Mind you, I'm 16. So it's kind of like, I don't want her to get fickle and be like, well, no, you're not going out anymore. Because, you know, a lot of times parents are so anxious when their children leave the house, especially in cars. Because, you know, car accidents are very common, especially amongst young drivers. Um, I lost a lot of classmates to car accidents, actually. I lost more um, classmates and schoolmates to um, car accidents than I did gun violence. I don't know. We get in the car and we just go. You know, sometimes when you get your license, you're not necessarily... You don't really know how to drive. Like, you can drive, but you don't really know how to drive. And... I feel like when you get your license that young, um, it's cool. Getting your permit and your license is cool, but you need experience. And you don't gain experience sitting in a classroom. You don't gain experience driving around the block. You don't gain experience in 24 hours. You don't gain enough experience in a year. You know, sometimes you're more so driving for others than yourself. Because if you know how to drive, you're good. But other drivers may not. You got drivers that come from out of town. You got tourists, you know what I'm saying, they're navigating, and they don't really know how to follow GPS and the road at the same time. They're more so treating your car like part of the interstate. You know, they'll fender bender, they'll side swipe, hell, they'll do the Dougie with your headlights. But <laughs> it, it's, it's crazy. It, it's crazy. <laughs>